Welcome to the Woke Blokes Podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Woke Blokes Podcast. I'm Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing, joined by Nico from MindFit. Nico, how are you, mate? Super fantastic. Thank you for asking. Very excited about today's show. It's uh, warm and sunny. No, it's not. It's pretty cold and fresh down here in Melbourne. You're sitting over there in your little singlet looking in your, is it a crop top or a boob tube or? Crop top. Yeah, I've got, I've got the midriff out. Girls, there's, no. there's a new, there's a new new lady boy in town on the streets of uh, Changwon. This little pot belly, this pad tied pot belly. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so, mate. I'm staying in shape over here. Okay, good. Uh, and we got before even before you introduce me, I'll chime in and say I've seen the photos with the tops off. So you are pretty happy and content over there. <laughs> Already my favourite uh, guest. <laughs> Mine too now. Or two. Uh, that voice is one of Shane Kelton. Uh, Shane is mental health advocate. Uh, his page is Power, Strength, Vulnerability, an all-round ripper bloke, a real uh, wonderful voice in the industry of mental health. Um, he's also, like myself and Nick, lived experience, gone through a lot of stuff, which we're going to get into today. I connected with Shane uh, second half of last year, 2019, where Shane was going through some stuff and came in to see me uh, for some work on himself. And, you know, we've developed a friendship from there, which is, which is blossoming, isn't it, Shane? It is. It's, uh, it's very nice. It would be better if you stayed in the country for a little bit longer, but um, you, seem to, you seem to take off as soon as I finish my session. So yeah, he, li- he likes to hit it and quit it, Shane. Yeah, yeah I, I figured that. So. <laughs> Shane's like, you'll call me tomorrow, yeah? I'm like, yeah, and then I flip the country. <laughs> but no, I'm coming back. I'll be coming back. That's all right. No, sure. sound like Michael Jordan. I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. the I, last uh, dance. I, I haven't watched the doppo, even though everyone, oh, you know, my friends amazing. are talking about it. It's amazing. So, Shano, tell us a little bit, uh, maybe just a brief history of you know, yourself and also your, your battles with mental health and maybe where those started. Uh, so, 31 now. My battle, yeah, they probably they do they do date back. I always thought I dated back to probably the start of high school, but doing a lot of this, the work that I'm doing, I realised that they come from a lot further back. Uh, and then, but you, but you maybe noticed them around that time. Yeah, that was when they. It was really noticeable for me that things started to change. And then, where by the time I was 21, I'd done been in eight years of basically a lot of self hatred blaming myself for everything, suicidal thoughts, and at 21, yeah, tried to take my own life. And since then, you know, I've battled the roller coaster of, of all, of everything that I've gone through. And, um, yeah, here I am today, still still standing. So that's that's a really short summary of 31 years of my life. That was so short. That would be the shortest <laughs> book ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that would get readers. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Tell me what it was like being a teenager going through these feelings of, of self-hatred. How did you cope well, with where, that? Where, did where'd you grow up firstly? Were you country or city or? Uh, so just eastern suburbs of Melbourne. I started in uh, Murrumbina. So I was there till about five back when that was probably a pretty, wasn't a rich area back then. It was uh, the houses were not like they are today. Then just moved out to the eastern suburbs at six and, Lived, lived here ever since. So it's it's good because it's the outskirts of the city. We've got the country right there. It's five minutes down the road, but we're not far from the city. So I guess I've had the both, best of both worlds a little bit along the way. I like the Mornington Peninsula. I'm down in Mount Martha. So yeah, yeah far got away from the city, but got the, got the bush there. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually where we're contemplating moving in the next couple of years. So yeah, so um, and back to Ryan's question. What was it? Just just when you know those teenage years, maybe leading up to you know twenty one when you attempted suicide. Like, what was that like? Having these feelings of self hatred. How did you how did you cope with that? Was that with you know were you isolating? Were you drinking? How, how were you dealing? Uh if you had a list of 10 things, it would probably be, be uh, 11, number 11, all of the above. Mm-hmm. It was isolation at times, but then other times it, I'd be like the life of the party. Um, 
whether that be with alcohol or not, it was, it was making a fool of myself, um, doing, I guess, risky behavior because I didn't care what happened to me. Uh, then there was the other side to it where I'd put myself in positions where I felt a bit vulnerable and I'd find I'd have to run away. So I ran away from my friends a lot whenever sort of things sort of didn't feel right. Um, at school, I, in, there was a lot of fears around, and I, I know a lot of people have this, there's fear in putting my hand up to ask a question because I was going to be wrong. I was going to be then laughed at. So there was all of those fears. I nightly had nightmares about suicide as well. So there was a lot happening and it was just, but I, but I didn't speak to anyone about it. I just acted everything. And I guess all those people, all the people just, would have seen me acting angry or sad or hysterical and then over happy. So I was never really in the middle. Mm, sounds pretty manic. It was either up or down or um, yeah. those nightmares about suicide. Was it you dreaming about taking your own life or, or what, what were those nightmares? Yes. Yeah, so I remember them like I had one last night. They, they, they're something that I look at, because it gives me a really good understanding of where my headspace is at and where a lot of this stuff, I guess, can come from. So it basically happened nightly through my teenage years where I'd try to take my own life and wouldn't succeed. And then it's really weird, but if you picture like an American movie where there's that um, grate in the middle of the road where people like jump down into the sewers, I'd pop up out of there and then like all my friends and family, like, and it was really realistic in terms of the faces and the laughter of the people it was them laughing and saying you couldn't even do that right Mm -hmm. so i I wouldn't want to go to sleep at night so this was another thing that was obviously holding me back i wouldn't want to go to sleep so i was getting to sleep two o'clock three o'clock waking up at eight o'clock with all these fears that i was going to be laughed at and picked on so i didn't want to get out of bed so it was like this reoccurring just you get no relief you know, yeah, it's like, it, oh, it, I'm just trying to get to the end of the day to go to bed. Then you're like, oh, fuck, now I have to go to bed and sleep. Then in the morning, you're like, now I've got to face everything. So you just get no relief yeah. in that whole cycle. And you, and you I, were bottling all that up. You weren't talking about it or sharing yeah, it, was, it or anything. No, nah, it was all it was all internal. I, I do remember early 13, 14, I spoke to a girl, one of my friends on the phone. Every day I got home from school, I would call her if I was under my bed crying. And I would call her and I'd be like, I want to take my life. This is how I want to do it. So she knew, but she was 13 and she didn't know about mental illness or mental health enough to speak to her. She would have been scared to tell a parent because I would have turned around and had a go at her. Um, So I was letting it out a little bit, but then our friendship actually dissolved because one of her friends told her that I hated her. So I actually lost that one person I was talking to about it. So things then, as I got older, I just thought, well, there's no point in talking about it. I'm just going to lose that person. What, so, what, was, what was your um, you're crying under the bed at home after school? Uh, are you in a loving household? Are you, are, you, are you with parents that are checking in going, hey, mate, what are you doing under the bed? Or what's, what's going on in the home environment? Uh, I, had, I had a very loving family. Um, as Ryan probably sorted with me that... They weren't very emotional and um, their way of showing love was completely different to how I guess I would show it. And so, but the household itself was a really happy household. Like we, we all got along really well. There wasn't many fights. Me and my brother fought, but, but I knew, I knew, I knew, yeah, I knew how to hide it. I knew they weren't, once I went into my room and closed the door, they wouldn't intrude in my space. So I knew where I could hide it. I knew, Mum was still at work most of the time and so was dad or my brother and my brother wouldn't come in because you'd punch him in the face basically at that age. So um, I, I knew where to hide it and I knew when dinner was. So I'd get up and, you know, wipe by the tears for dinner and then um, go back to bed. And after dinner, I usually called, like had conversations with many friends on the phone or text messages. So that kind of or watch TV. So I kind of distracted myself for a period of time. As long as I could, I distracted myself. I remember sitting on the phone to people till 2am. Just now I understand it was just to purely distract myself uh, from what was going to happen. Yeah. So, so Nick, just a bit of background on Shane as well in like in good company here, because, you know, we did a full episode not too many ago around 
uh, men being really empathetic and really sensitive. And so mm. this is definitely the case for me and you, Nick, which we spoke about, but also Shane as well. So, you know, very, very sensitive soul. And um, when we have these emotions going on when we're younger and there isn't a proper outlet for it, um, not that that's anyone's fault, just there's no proper outlet and it's getting internalized, then um, we tend to have a lot of these thoughts around self-hatred, self-loathing and, and a lot of the time. I had, a, I had a chat with someone the other day about, they said they love that I'm a sensitive soul, but they f- they struggle, they feel they have to tiptoe around me. Mm. And I, 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 I had to clarify with them that I'm two types of sensitive. I'm sensitive in a, I, I'm, I can detect the energy of other people around. I'm very tuned into my environment as an empath. I've got more mirror neurons, so I'm picking up a lot more information. But then I'm also sensitive from my army experience. And, yeah. you know, that, 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 um, Shane, you probably don't know, but I experienced sexualized violence back then. So I got jumped by a heap of dudes and um, stripped naked and, and zip tied. And, and, and it was that moment where I had to surrender because I was overpowered by eight guys that yeah. all of us, you know, that, that's what broke me. That's what closed my heart. And I'm, I'm reading uh, Hass. I don't know if you've read The Untethered Soul. Only about, no. seven, only about seven times, but yeah. Good book. Good book. I can recommend <laughs> it. I'm going to write it down. Oh, it's amazing. Um, and I'm reading about that. And, you know, that's the moment where my heart closed. And so yep. I had, you know, the valve closed, the, the energetic heart closed and the valve closed. And um, so I'm explaining to this person that, you know, I've done a decade's worth of work on reopening or not really reopening, but um, working through it. And so I still do have some of those sensitivities. So are yeah. you in sort of those, both those camps? I'd, I'd love, I'll just jump in quick before you jump in, Shane, because I would love you to elaborate on this because this is, you said something really important there, Nick. It's like this, people feel like they have to tiptoe around if we think they're sensitive and for us yeah. sensitive people, and I know this is for you, Shane, like yeah. we, we hate that. <laughs> we hate to think that someone uh, is thinking that to tiptoe around. That's the last thing that we want. Is that right, Shane? Oh, absolutely. I, as you were describing that, I was just thinking, yep, that's exactly me. Like it's, I, that, that actually makes me feel a lot worse when someone's tiptoeing around it. I'd rather them turn around to me and say, you're acting like a dickhead or just whatever it might be. Just be honest with me because yeah, I might react at the time, but I'm going to respect you for it. And I'm going to, I'm going to then have to, I, I then take responsibility of working through whatever happens. Whereas if they tiptoe around it and then you, you build up this fear of trusting people and you, it all that's tiptoeing around just forces that all of that to just close back up mm-hmm. because you just start fearing everything and losing that trust. So like hundred percent, I, I and I know like people have said to me, we're scared to say stuff to you. And that, that like, that breaks me. I'm like, that isn't, I'm open because I want you to be open back to me. Yep. But then there's the judgment in it as well. Like you're sensitive. You're, it's like a, a bad thing. It's like you're doing something wrong. And it's just A, your nature, but it's B, like with my army stuff and, and both of you guys with your stuff, I didn't ask to get treated like that. I didn't mm. ask to go through that experience, maybe in a karmic level or whatever, but I, I didn't ask in this life to, to experience what I did and to be altered in that way. So... 18 years down the track, someone says to me, you're sensitive. I'm like, fuck, well, that's, I'm sorry, but that's, it's, it's not my fault. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred, yeah. hundred percent. And that's, I think I actually got called sensitive, uh, last year on the footy field and I flipped and I didn't know why I, I guess I hadn't done a lot of the work that I've done in the last few months, but something went off inside me. Like, and I think it was the, it, I know now it was the fact that I knew I was sensitive, but I was hiding, mm. hiding away from it. I wasn't allowing me to be me. Like, mm. and now I s- sort of say, I, and then I did work with another counselor prior to Ryan where she's like, you are a sensitive person and you have been your whole life. Like embrace that part of you because yeah. there is so much good in that part. There is care, there's wanting to help others, there's all that. And by shutting it out, you lose sight of all of that. And then ever since that, like my whole, I guess, knowledge around it's changed, but my whole look outset 
and look at it, it's changed as well. Like I want to get it. Um, we I had a look at what a sensitive animal is, and the red fox is a sensitive animal. So I want to get that tattooed on me. So I can always look back and say this is a good thing. This isn't something to be ashamed of. This isn't something to hide from. Like whatever we've been through in our life, um, bad, good, ugly, indifferent. It. I guess we are then our values and beliefs are then what they are, what they are. You are what you are. And it's, there's no point hiding from it and it's embracing the good in that rather than being ashamed of it. I was so ashamed of being caring and sensitive person for so long and it, it basically led me to a path where I lost people in my life where now embracing that sensitive side, like I'm finding people that I didn't know were there but they were just over the fence. Like Ryan, Ryan came from my area, like he lived in my area. He'd been doing what he's doing for five years. I've been talking for Beyond Blue for five years how we didn't connect shows me that I wasn't ready and wasn't willing to be open about it. I was still trapped in, inside myself. And since opening up more and more, the people you meet is extraordinary and you find people that are just like you, I guess. Yeah. And I We've think it's spoken about it before has, sorry, that, that sensitivity can be a double-edged sword. Like all, all of our stuff is double-edged sword. So we can be too sensitive, but it mm-hmm. also gives us the capacity to love greatly and love deeply and love truly and be thoughtful and kind and caring and considerate so i think for me i've come to a place and i don't know where you're at shane where i'm i'm mindful of my sensitivity now and i I do try and keep it in balance Mm. Um, i don't try and let it go because it can be overwhelming for someone that's not used to it you know all of a sudden your heart is completely open it's like a dam emptying on their head but then if you're the other way and they say, oh, geez, you're an idiot and they're just trying to be playful and you take it personally, yeah. then that's an issue too. So for me. Yeah, I um, 100% like agree. Like, and I've, I've said this recently to a couple of people. If you really like embrace the highs of life, you're going to really embrace the lows of life. Like you'll get stuck in those two fields. So you've got to try and find that level and you've got to stay at a level because what what can't goes up must come down um yeah the uh it's like the Taoists called the middle way or the buddhist yeah and um it's just there's like you're saying when you were younger everything was just too too extreme you know up yeah. and down where it's like if, if there's no middle ground that's where we find a lot more equanimity and a lot more peace and i and think it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean we don't enjoy the good and don't feel yeah, it's, bad it's, it's working nick <laughs> is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, it's not, it's it stopped for a second and now I can hear you fine. Yeah. It's not on Audacity, sorry. That's fine. I'll just use the Zoom recording. Sorry, folks. Technical difficulties here. We're on Zoom. I'm going to blame Nick. Come on, Nick. Get your act together. Yeah, sorry, man. Yeah, so I'll, just, I'll use the Zoom because I can hear you fine. Um, yep, yeah, Shano, so what were you saying? Yeah, so it's, and by, by what we're saying, like it doesn't mean you don't enjoy the good times and don't, you no. know, in, like understand the bad, but it's, if you fully just like live on that high, it will come back crashing right down and you'll find yourself right at the bottom. And that's, you know, Ross Lyon, who's a coach of Fremantle speaks, and I've heard a lot of the Fremantle and old St Kilda players, they talk about the equilibrium and, you know, by one day you could have the perfect world, but tomorrow it could change. So, you know, live in the moment more and don't sort of take it for granted because things will change. And if you're in the worst possible position, something might change that as well. So, 100%. And I think it's like you can only be in that moment. So let's say you are having something amazing is happening and then you can enjoy that in the moment. But we get into trouble when we cling to that because yeah. we all of a sudden we feel good. This is classic. I'm, I was a drug addict. I know this very well. You feel that high and you're like, I want more. I want more. Yeah. Or I want this to keep going. Or I want it to get even higher. And it's just this. And that is getting out of the present moment. Even when the present moment you feel great, you're still trying to jump out and you want more of it or, or to a greater degree. And it's always going to go away. Well, I know people who won't even enjoy the good time because as soon as something goes good in their life, they're like, something's about to happen. Yeah. I'm looking around each corner to find out what's going to fuck it up. I had it with love because my dad always used to say to me growing up, you know, stop being so bloody sensitive. That was, that was his way. And he played for St. Kilda, um, ironically. And so he was this alpha male footy head, you know, not really emotional, amazing man. Like, you know, but, but just didn't get, who yeah. I was and so his, his way was stop being so bloody sensitive so now you know as I'm an adult when someone 
I care about deeply says to me, oh, you're so sensitive. That sort of it triggers that old stuff. Bang, five-year-old Nick. Where's five-year-old yeah. Nick? <laughs> but that's, that's for me to work on. So I realised I looked back at all my relationships and instead of, you know, using drugs um, to get high, I'd use love to get high. And when someone loved me, I'd, I'd just try and exist in that. Oh, yeah, and I was always looking for it. Um, yeah. And when I found it, I'd be like, yeah, bring it on. And it made me really needy and clingy. and Which is another yeah. drug. Love, love and validation yeah. or love and approval is, uh, is another drug that we all get hooked on very early. <laughs> uh, that actually rings true with me. Like my when I get into past relationships, I cling to it and it, it drives them away. And then you lose it very, very quickly. But so what I've learned with my relationship now is, you know, to to not do that and understand that that is it's like well, what I learn is that that's uh, hard to I guess it's hard to explain, explain what I'm trying to say well, here. Inst- instead of being codependent and yeah. very conditional love, you're more interdependent, and you can more stand in your own love of your own self, and they can stand in their love, and you can lean on each other from time yeah. to time. But you don't need their love to survive. Yeah, and that's that was like probably that's probably been the biggest almost breakthrough for me because my my dream since I was a five year old kid was to be a dad, like which is really strange for a male to sort of grow up wanting that. But that was always my thing. Um, whereas everyone else wanted to be an AFL star or a policeman or a firefighter. I was like, no, I want to be a dad. That I had was, the same thing. I had the same yeah. thing. I was, by the time I was 24, I thought I'd have two kids and, and that's all I could think of. And now here I am at 42 with no kids. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Polly, okay. come on. Oh, sorry, Polly. <laughs> Shano, just uh, just do us a favor. Just pull the the microphone. I think we're getting a rustle with your beard. Just talk now. How you going? Hello. Okay, perfect. <laughs> well, it was just it was only slight, but it was a little beard rustle we had going uh-huh. on. I probably should shave. It's getting Maybe really you should shave, shave that thing off for God's sake. I was just looking at us. We're, we're all in different stages. Has his clean skin. I'm a bit stubbly, and then Shano's got the uh, yeah, the Kelly. Mine's pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff growing in it now. Um, it was really interesting what you said earlier, Shane. I think it's, so let's take sensitivity. It can be with anything in life, but being sensitive isn't an issue, but our relationship to being sensitive is what is the issue. So it's like when you, that person on the football field called you sensitive, the only reason that triggered you is because you had decided that you didn't like that part of you. Mm. You were ashamed of it and kept putting away. So that became your shadow, so to speak. And then that's someone then show, reminded you of your shadow, which we hate. <laughs> we hate. So don't remind me of that. To get to a point now where you're thinking about getting the, uh, the fox tattoo, which is really embracing that sensitivity, it just means you've completely changed your relationship. Whereas I know now, if you're on a footy field or something and someone called you sensitive, you'd just be like, yeah, look at my tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm completely fine with it. I'm like, yeah, it is. That's, that's who I am. Like, yeah. Um, and people and need fact- to understand that, like, especially for, you know, people like yourself who are doing all this work on yourself and you're like, you know, speaker in the field and that kind of thing. Yes, we may be sensitive, but we'll own whatever we feel. Mm. So what happens? I think that's why people tend to tiptoe because they're like, oh, I don't want to trigger this person because then they'll take it personally and they'll get angry at me. But if people know that, hey, yeah, if I get upset or whatever it is in the moment, I'm willing to own what I feel. It's not about you, even though it seems like that in the moment. It's not, and I'll work through that, and people but can stop. Before, but before I'd done the work, and Shane, I'd love your opinion on this, I was probably reactive 80% of the time. You know, I wasn't in control of my emotion. I couldn't self-regulate. My emotional intelligence was very, very low. And all the work I've done to increase that emotional intelligence and increase my capacity to self-manage and self-regulate my emotional state it's probably flipped it now i'm reactive probably 20 percent of the time and responsive uh, mindfully choosing how i feel about 80 percent of the time but when someone comes along and says you're sensitive a they're not acknowledging the work that you've done to switch that massive number around but b they're not also giving you room to be human and i think that for me was the frustrating part was like Fuck, I'm I'm human. I'm I'm allowed to have emotions. I'm allowed to. It doesn't. It, why are you linking that with sen- being sensitive and and that putting me into that judgment instead of just letting me be human? I'm sure you react as well. Like, it's, do, it's, do you get that? That's basically summed up every. The, I guess the probably the way I was for the previous two years, and then I did a lot of work on myself. So I was, you know, very. I uh, wasn't very reactive for four or five years, and. 
but prior to that, I was yeah reactive all the time to to every comment, to every poor situation. That you know, it was the why me attitude. Whereas now, I I I sort of take a step back and don't react straight away, and I understand and you know lose that judgment of the situation. Whether that that judgment be to myself or to someone else, it's right. Step back and understand what's happening rather than reacting to it now and one of the major things why why I went to Ryan is because in my relationship we were fighting every second day just I was get I was reacting to everything that was said I was upset by everything that was said and it was getting out of control like it genuinely was so whereas now in five months or six months I think I've had two like reactive moments like that where I've actually probably in the moment not being able to pull myself back and understand and I've sort of judged the situation and so it had, it does had it a, hum, a, a human moment. Yeah, a human moment. And that's but when when and I guess when they when they happen not as regularly, it is like it is a human moment. Like it's one of, but when it happens like all the time, that's yeah. when people look at it and can look at it and say, that's why I like like my fiance is great, but she doesn't understand a lot of this side of things. And I'm trying to like teach her and acknowledge her because she comes from like most of us, she comes from a like very judgmental way and we all do it at, at times in our life. Like that's not a derogatory be, term to her. It's just yeah, how we, yeah. So I'm trying to sort of explain to her, you know, a drug addict isn't taking drugs because like of this reason, it's because there's something else like linked back and it's, I'm not justifying whatever the person is doing is saying it's right. It's, and it's never that. It's like I'm just un- trying to come and understand why they might be there rather that's, than... That's the word, understanding. That, oh, I think what we're, what we're really asking for is some compassion and empathy and, and understand all of that. It creates that understanding yeah. and just some acceptance around it as well. Um, but it's, it's hard for those external to us to really understand what we're like because they haven't gone through the same experience. Yeah. So they're looking at it through a different filter and they're... Um, their version of sensitive is very different to ours. You know, we've been this sensitive and now we're only human sensitive. Yeah. They're looking at it going, oh, geez, you're sensitive. We're like, what? <laughs> should have seen me years ago. <laughs> yeah. But, they're, but they're, they're also not uh, owning their experience of that as well. Because everyone, so everyone's experienced sensitivity. Everyone's got a spot where you start talking about something, they'll get very, mm. very sensitive. Oh, so yeah. if, they, if they truly understood and looked at their own experience there, they'd be able to understand someone who has a higher sensitivity a lot better. And the understanding well, you showed, sorry, you showed the yeah. Michael Singer book. Um, he used to uh, go every fortnight for years and years and years and speak at a prison. He'd do like just some spiritual teachings, life lessons and that kind of thing. And all these really like, maximum security prison like hardened criminals would come and listen and he had one where you went to that was man (laughs) they couldn't contain me for long that's how minimal they were um and he said he he had one guy who was a very well-known serial killer so like uh was serving many many life sentences but this guy would come along like every fortnight to his teachings and really participate and um try and improve and and one day after the class, he stayed back and Michael Singer just said, well, why do you uh, come here? You know, you got no hope of getting out or anything like that. And he said, you're the only one who understands me. And he said, what do you mean? He goes, you know that from the time I was born, I've felt dead inside. I felt absolutely nothing. The only time I've any felt, felt any life in me is when I was planning to and murdering someone. Like, this is the extreme yeah. I'm talking here. Yeah. This is only, every, every other time I've felt, I've felt completely dead. And, and you get that. Now, Michael Singer says, does that mean we stop arresting serial killers? No. no <laughs> we, should no. Defi- we should definitely <laughs> imprison people for yeah. killing people. But we need to at least understand what's going on here because we're not going to be able to help in the future, whether it's people who are killing people or violent or drug addicts or whatever, or mental illness. We're not going to be able to make improvements unless we understand. If you just write someone off and say, well, they're evil or they have a chemical imbalance or they're just faulty, we don't we don't go anywhere. Yeah, oh, it's, it's absolutely spot on. Like... Thing I was listening to Dr. Gabor Maté about addiction being adaption. It's just what it, what that person's doing. It, it's it's bringing out an emotion, a feeling in them that makes them feel alive, as you say. It's not and for on this on a I guess a good spectrum. And I, I say good with like that because 
people will say it's good to have an addiction to shopping because it's safe. But then someone that goes out and says serial killer is bad. It's like, but they, their traumas might be exactly the same, but they, their coping mechanisms and whatever through life and what life's taught them means they've got a different adaption. Now, yes, it's, it's not ideal that we have serial killers, but I think it's, we've got to start to understand that it all can be linked back. Well, it all is linked back to sort of events in our lives and how we then can teach and um, I guess nurture the, the next generations to come. So we don't have serial killers as frequently or we don't have the people that spiral completely out of control and take their lives and stuff like that. So we're so, moving in the right direction along the way. You know, I, yeah. I see them all the time. Like I've obviously worked with so many drug addicts and also people have come in um, who are workaholics, you know, and they're just like, they just, they neglect their family. They treat their wife like shit, their kids. They just work, 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 work. Now the thing is, it's the same compulsion that drives the workaholic and the drug addict. Now it's just society's view that says, oh, the drug addict is a piece of shit, a junkie, all that kind of jazz. The workaholic, they get positive reinforcement. <laughs> they get like, what a go-getter. Well, how much money did you make this year? Are you junior vice president yet? So it's all this positive reinforcement, but the compulsion is just exactly the same. It's just one person found that, work has worked for them in distracting one person finds drugs yeah it's it's when you when you actually sit down with someone and explain it like that actually you can even if they pretend they don't understand it, you can see their mind start to tick and they're like oh yeah that makes that makes sense like so the more the conversation happens i think the more it's and it, it's probably not going to be in our lifetime but i think in plenty of years to come there'll be much more natural understanding and hopefully that will bring everyone more to an equal level. And, you know, I think the most important thing, I know these people out there now doing it, they're going into the jails and they're helping rehabilitate these people. And by doing that, they're going to be learning more about the childhoods and, and what they see. Um, because oh, there was a by the podcast I listened to, I can't remember who it was, but it was the, a guy that went to jail when he was 19 and for bank robberies. But so he, he grew up in, and all he knew was, um, robbery that's all that's what he grew up around so that's what he thought was technically right now he even said he has morals because he only did banks he didn't do houses yeah. <laughs> so so like what you grow up around is, is ultimately what you can become and so we and now he's like obviously changed his life dramatically he's telling his story but he's doing it because he wants people to understand that all of that plays a, a part in your life and the, and what you do end up doing i guess 100 oh, percent it is. It's like if I if we walk down the slums of India right now, we would see people cooking and eating dog flesh and it mm. would repulse us because we love dogs heaps. If those Indian people came out here and saw us eating beef, they would think the exact same thing about us, that we're yeah. savages. We've just decided that the dog is sacred. They have decided that the cow is sacred. And so it's just this cultural upbringing. Like 9-11, 9-11 was a fucking tragedy for most of the world. There's a small part of the world that thought it was a huge success, mm. right? Depending yeah. on where you were grown up and what beliefs you were indoctrinated with. When we all understand that we're just programmed by our environment, it's uh, all of this stuff gets silly. It gets silly to be hold on to these beliefs. Like that's all they are. Beliefs start wars, for God's sake. Yep. And they're so flimsy, most of them don't make any sense. Yep. Um, so Shane, I think this leads on to, I'd like to know, you know, let people know where you were at last year, um, you know, in terms of, because you obviously had to reach out for help. You went and saw myself. You spent some time in, in Melbourne Clinic and obviously we're doing a real big focus on getting yourself metanoia, Nick, a breaking down and then rebuilding uh, of Shane. I'd love to know, you know, where you were at and what that process was like, what you learned. So last, probably, it was probably two years of trying to get myself out of what I was going through, but not knowing what was going to help. And you know, I, I tried, I honestly tried everything. And when I say everything, there was drinking, there was alcohol, there was trying to go back to full work, there was going back to part-time work, there was making new friends, there was, you know, Alicia. I broke up with Alicia once through that period of time because I thought that would change my life. I, I did everything in my power over a two-year period and I did everything but actually look at what the real problems were. <laughs> So I, it was. Can I just ask you something? Yeah. In that moment, it's and has. I think we've spoken about this. It's funny when when you do the work and and you come out of that metanoia, uh, the the breakdown and that rebuild, and when you're this new version, you look around, 
and nothing's changed. Your past is still the past. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your house is still the house. And everything, nothing's changed, but, but you have changed and your perception has changed. Is that, is that what you experienced? Yeah, I was, I was basically trying to change the external the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Not, and yeah. it, it wasn't because I didn't want to change internal. It was I just thought that would, yeah. that would trigger a, a better internal for me. And, yeah, just, I mean, it got to November last year and I sat down with my auntie. I was in a really bad spot. I was like, so what really triggered it? I actually cracked the shits at cricket really bad and drove home mid game. Um, it got, ended up getting washed out. So I didn't, didn't actually feel the guilt of that, but left. Um, and I cried for two hours at home and I, a mate, um, Matt Neal, who Ryan grew up with, um, said to me, I think you need, need to go see Ryan and pointed him out and, I sat down with Alicia, my fiancée, and I went to a family member who suffers with depression um, and has for years and years and years. And I basically said to them, what do you think is the best thing for me? Because I can't do this by myself anymore. Um, ultimately, I knew I needed to do the work, but I needed some nurturing and some guidance on how to get through that. And I decided to go to the Melbourne Clinic and to sign up to with Ryan and do the therapy there. So I wanted to do it properly. I, I, I wanted to go 110% at it and not um, just sort of not deep, do, dip your toe in it. Yeah. I just didn't say I'd basically been doing that for two years or yeah, even longer because yeah, I've done counseling. I've done a great amount of work and I've lot, learned lots for, for years about this, but I think I just, I was still holding back and wasn't allowing myself to really immerse myself in who I was. So I needed to go 110%. And I said to the people around me, I said to Alicia, if I don't come out of this and I haven't done the work, walk away. Like I, I said, you have to walk away now because I'm not willing to do it. Um, so I did it. I, and I just, I did. What, I went was, it like, what was it like to, to pick up the phone and, and call Ryan or, or to pick up the phone and call the Melbourne clinic? What was, what was like, you know, that, that's the edge of your comfort zone right there. Not doing the work feels safe and comfortable. Doing yeah. the work, you've got to push through that barrier. What was that like for you? Oh, so, so scary. Um, but at the same time, I'll say it was scary, but I knew it had to happen. It was, that was, it, it was, um, it was either that or I lost everything. Like, I didn't Sounds have like you hit rock bottom, so you didn't really have another yeah. option, really, did you? Well, yeah, I didn't have any money behind me. I didn't have a job. I, my fiance had taken over my business that I'd worked so hard for. I was cancelling speaking events that I was doing because I just, uh, why would I go speak about mental health when I'm at this place I'm at? So everything that I, I guess, I enjoyed, I wasn't doing. Um, cricket was shit because I was angry all the time. Um, I quit footy coaching because I just didn't feel I was the right person to do it. And then my fiance was ready to walk out on me. So it was, it was either all of those things I actually reached out and as scary as it was, it, it had to happen because the alternate, the alternate option was much worse, mm-hmm. um, much, much worse. So it becomes a, what's worse, making a phone call and walking into a clinic or losing everything you've got. Can I, can I put something to you? I, I talk to my clients about it takes more strength to let go than it takes to hold on. And before we make that phone call, we're holding on to all of these things. We're holding on to this world or this illusion that we've created out of fear of letting it go, of letting it break down. And it took an inordinate amount of strength for you to let go uh, of that security of what you knew, even though it was shit, it's still what you yeah. knew. So you had to let go of that and step right into the unknown and take that leap of faith. So do you realize how much strength it actually took for you to do that? I do. And I know because in the clinic, I saw people that still refused to let go. Yeah. Um, so I saw how hard it was to do it. Like it was in in my face every day that there was people in there that were still refusing to let go and they were still blaming other people and refusing to accept that they had to do the work. And so I, I knew in that moment and making the phone calls that I did and speaking to the people I did, it, it, it gave me a lot of relief. And that's when I knew that um, 
I, I did let go. Um, and I, I did feel proud walking into the hospital. As, as weird as that sounds, I was like, I was happy. Uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the listeners probably are like, that's really strange. You're walking into a mental health clinic. Um, but everyone has this vis- vision that you walk in and there's people walking around like zombies and in straight jackets where it's, especially a private hospital is nothing like that at all. They're just normal, like normal people. Just um, like I, I'd walk in there and I'd be like, why the fuck are you in here? Like, you don't have anything wrong with you, like kind of thing. But then you saw you get to know yourself and then other people, and you realise because you like, can't see it, they don't have a broken leg or an arm in a sling or a, yeah. You know. So even I fall into that trap that you sort of have that prejudgment about someone based on what they look like or whatever. So yeah, I, I I do get how hard it was, and I am for the first time in my life, I'm actually really proud of the steps I made because. And I mean, Ryan saw me cry in four sessions, basically. Um, I did get you back once though, so that was good. Um, so I've got three more to go. Um, but like, it's, it is, it's amazing that you start letting go and you do, like, I, yeah, I haven't felt prouder of myself ever. And that's that I've never been able to say, never ever have I ever said I'm proud of myself before like six, seven no, months that, ago, that, never. That's amazing. And, and so, um, yeah, it just fills my heart with happiness to hear you know, another person and another bloke um, say that. So, well done. But uh, I love that there's a difference between being proud and having pride. And I think pride, yeah. Ryan, you might chip in with this, is all about ego. And my pride is what stops people from going into hospital mm. or reaching out and asking for help, where, where once you do that, you actually feel proud. Does that yeah. make sense to you? Yeah, 100%, I reckon. And I reckon it was pride and ego is what stopped me probably reaching out for proper help in the first place because especially being a speaker and an advocate for mental health for so many years, you feel like you're failing. So you're like, no, I can't, I can't let people know that I'm struggling again. I can't let people know I'm weak. But now I look back and I'm like, this actually set a better example by me going in there than what it would have if I kept, sort of kept doing the dipping my toe in like I was the previous two years. It, it, and it's, it's shown in the people that have gravita- gravitated towards back towards me that had drifted off. Like you can see, you don't realise people have drifted off in that time because they're like, this person's not putting across a good message or whatever. Now they're just like flowing back in and they're like, what you've done is amazing, you know. But I don't, I don't like put myself up on a pedestal because realistically – you know, we all should be doing this work on ourselves. So it's not something that um, I go, I'm a hero because well, yeah, we're, I did we're it. not special or we're not we're not amazing, nah. are we? We're just we've just acknowledged that we're not okay and stuck a hand up. And yeah, you said that. Um, I, I, I thought I was being weak if I asked for help, but it's actually the complete opposite, yeah. isn't it? If you want to use that word, weak. It's, yeah. Well, I- and that was the funny thing that I, I, even through that two years time, I told people to reach out because it is a strong thing to do, but I wasn't doing it myself. <laughs> Got to practice for the team. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and and that, I, I did realise that last year that I needed to actually do what I was telling people to do as well. Uh, but I also yeah. did. I stopped telling people to do it because I knew I wasn't doing it as well. So um, I just, I gave myself, I listened to my own advice for a couple of weeks and, yeah, it dramatically and, changed. And, and you had good advice. You were like, yeah, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah, I, I, turns, turns out I do. I'm actually smart enough for all. So, uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah. And then, yes, yeah, honestly, walking through those doors at the clinic and, and then even just going to see Ryan for that initial meeting, which there was no certainty around it. Um, it like, it was two of the best experiences of my life. But in saying that at the time, it was probably the two scariest experiences of my life. But you look back and you're like, fuck, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything, I've got a the, the MindFit uh, motto is discomfort precedes success. Yeah. I talk to clients about how everything we want is on the other side of that fear. And that's, that's where we've got to reach in and get that internal strength to let go of, you know, the handrail and actually take that leap of faith and, and, I don't, I don't think everyone's capable of doing it, whether it's a, um, I don't know. It's just, you see, some people will just, 
white knuckle it through their whole entire lives because they're so afraid of changing or breaking down or the ego's too involved or whatever the case may be. But it's always a beautiful moment to see when to watch someone just go like this and you're like, Oh, right now we've got you. We're going to, we're going to take you somewhere. Well, I'm just picturing, as you're describing that, I'm picturing and probably what a lot of people can probably relate that back to is when a kid's on a bike and you're taking the training wheels off and you're holding the kid. And when you let go, it's like, it's that same feeling that, wow, I'm doing this on my own, by myself, I'm working. You've had this guidance and this nurturing person, but now you're riding by yourself. And, mm. you know, if a kid just did, it fell off the bike and that, then they're not going to sort of progress. Like where if we let go yeah. of what we're feeling, we, we keep riding. Well, that's, that's, that's a, a ship is safe in harbour, but that's not what ships are built for. It's, that's what you're talking about there is we keep the training wheels on and we'll just we'll stay where we are. Once you yep. take them off, you're free to, to go anywhere. But it's, it, it takes that, um, that act of courage, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I think, you know, all three of us here, like me and you, Nick, I'm sure, you know, people don't want to reach help in general. But if you're seen as a advocate or a speaker or a therapist or that kind of thing, it's like, yeah, you put, you want to put yourself up on a pedestal and a lot, a lot of people in that situation don't reach out for help when they should. And I know Nick, you and me, you know, like we're therapists, but God, we reach out all the time for, <laughs> for help. Cause like I, shit. I got to say my dude all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And we too, whenever something comes up, so I've got to do the work and work on that. You know, we don't get to a point where we're like, all right, I'm finished. <laughs> finished. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's ongoing. Like life, life is going to, we look at life. I, I look at this and I go one bad or bad thing is going to, one lesson will be learned every year in your life. Like one major thing will happen, whether it be you have to move house, someone dies in your life, a pan, global pandemic, um, someone gets Bush sick in your life. Yeah. yeah something's going to happen. Gonna keep happening. Yeah. yeah. So you've just got to keep doing the work. It doesn't, it, it does. Cause you might, something might affect you more than it might affect someone else. So it's continually doing the work. And like, I know now, like I'll steep, still keep getting my therapy sessions. I'll keep doing my breath work. And that that's my number one priority is to do all those things. Otherwise I'm going to sort of slip back and you, it's you a lifestyle. Well, so I introduced, I introduced my business as called mind fit because it's all about getting people mentally fitter and stronger and healthier. And so you know, as, as we alluded to before, you walked into the Melbourne clinic and you thought, what the hell are you doing here? You couldn't see that their mental health was out of shape. You couldn't see that yeah. mentally they were 100 kilos overweight or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So I talked to my clients about, you know, they come and do a 12-week or a 12-month program with me. And that's just sort of getting them back in shape. And you don't, you don't just turn up to a gym and work with a PT and go, right, I'm, I'm back in shape. And then <laughs> yeah. go back and sit on the couch and eat KFC and binge on Netflix. You've got to keep going and keep exercising. And it, it, it's, as I said, it just has to, you have to incorporate it into your lifestyle and, and look after. I think the big thing we're all trying to help people understand is that we have this overall well-being, you have mental health and physical health. And if you neglect one, you can't expect your well-being to, to be okay. And yeah, it's easy, it's easier to stay fit than get fit. It's like that's what a lot of footy players will say, you know, coming back from preseason and that kind of thing. Like it's, I mean, when when we're mentally unwell, it's going to take like you did, Shane. You did this. It was immersion. You know, it's yeah. like you went to the clinic. You're coming to the center for healing. You're doing all this work on yourself, doing your breath work, and so like that inertia started getting things really moving in the right direction and getting you a lot more mentally and emotionally fit. And now it's a process of just staying mentally and emotionally fit because we know well, if we I, don't, then we start to get out of shape. I had to go and do 12 months worth of work. You know, it was once, yeah. um, Shane, my, my rock bottom was I couldn't leave my house. Agoraphobia was so bad. I literally couldn't open a door. Yeah. Um, my mind created a barrier. And I was like, it, it, this doesn't make sense. It was that irrational that a 30-year-old yeah. man couldn't open a door. So it created this epiphany. I'm like, if my mind is capable of this on this end of the spectrum, when I've neglected it for so long, what's yeah. it capable of on the other end of the spectrum? So I created a gap and I shot out and yeah, it turned up. I'm like, geez, I'm out of shape. And I had to, <laughs> I had to do a 12 month bloody rebuild. Well, it's, and that's, that's the way I look at it. Like when, if you, if you, if you know, and you're at that end of the scale, I guess, I, it just shows you what you're actually capable of at the other, other side. Yeah, totally. I always tell people that I'm like, yeah. think about like what you, you're doing now in your life. Imagine what you could do on the opposite end and, 
that it's it's hard to see when you're that low. But when you're in it, yeah, yeah. But you just kind, and then you just you just break it down into. Well, if I for you like obviously the amount of work you did, one of the first things would be to actually just get to the other side of the door, and it might mean you turn around and run back inside. But that's one one step of the thousands and thousands of mini steps that are along the journey. And when you explain it to someone like that, it's like you just need. We just want to get you to the door, and this is how we're going to work through this process. You can run straight back inside. It's a lot easier than to break down. Yeah. I yeah, think if, if, if you're a negative eight, like if, if there's positive 10 and negative 10 and zeros in the middle, I think if you're a negative eight, you have the capacity to become a positive eight. Yeah. That's, that's the way I see it. Yeah. It's like they're two sides of the one coin. So it's like, it's, it's very hard to see in that moment, but one can't exist without the other. So if I hate myself, I have the capacity to love myself. I can't see yeah. it, but it has to have that capacity because one couldn't exist without the other. Well, if you had have told me, you know, when I was standing at that door that 10 years down the track, I'd be working at a world-class health resort and I'd be doing a podcast and I'd be speaking in front of people and I'd be helping hundreds of people to improve their mental health and well-being, I literally would have laughed in your face and yeah. probably punched you for being You're crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah. you can't see it. Yeah, you're you're so crazy, you're not me. <laughs> yeah. Get out of town. <laughs> but it's all just those steps, like you said, Shane, then it will one step's just getting out the door. And then it's, it's always just one step at the end of the day. And you can look back at your journey, Nick, 10 years ago, and you'll see it's just a succession of single steps that you took. It's just bite, eat the elephant one bite at a time. It's, um, yeah, because yeah, I think over being overwhelmed stops so many people. Like, oh, it's too hard. It's too, I've got too much work to do. It's too this. And we create this really big, too hard basket. But if you can get rid of your too hard basket and just, you know, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step sort of thing as mm. we're talking about, if you can just go, all right, well, where do I go from here? It's like in business. If you if you if you want to create a partnership with a huge company, you don't go ring it up and go, Hey, this is me, let's create a partnership. It's just it's it's unrealistic. <laughs> oh, hang up. Exactly. You gotta go, G'day. Do you wanna this is me? Are you open? Are you interested? Okay, cool. Let's go and have a coffee. Okay, so Sounds like yeah. your dating technique as well, Nick. <laughs> well, it should be any technique. It's uh it's just baby steps and, and, and yeah, well, if, I you, mean, if you you can compare it to anything in life. Like teams don't win premierships or CEOs don't become CEOs by just turning up on grand final day or turning up in an office. Like they work their way to get in that position. Our minds and our bodies are exactly the same. We need to yeah. take those steps. And I think, I think what we see, and especially with social media is we see a start and a finish and we don't see the work that's done in between. Yep. And we always, we, we then process that as that must've been easy. Yeah. Oh, that, but it creates this, I want a quick fix mentality. I just want it yeah. to happen like that for Or me. look how and easy when, it is and, for them when it's not. And when you, when you explain to people, you know, people look at me, I tell them my story, and then they say, oh, cool, I want to do that. I'm like, yeah, it was 12 months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? I'm like, 12 months. Every week, going in, every week, breaking down, every week, feeling more uncomfortable, feeling challenged. So there's not just know? a peel I can take? <laughs> Come on. I'm like, oh, Pat my pockets, I'm all out of magic wands. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was just imagining, Shane, someone like a team rocking up on grand final day saying, all right, we're ready to win the premiership. Yeah. It's like, you're not even in the grand final. You played like <laughs> shit all year. Yeah. Oh, 100%. right. Win a certain amount of games. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. struggle with overwhelm, you know, like, a, like even what we were talking before, how when we're quite mentally out of shape, there's a bit of work to be done to break that inertia and get us moving in the right direction. But even if someone is listening and thinks, oh, there's so much shit that I need to deal with mm -hmm. and so much, like all of that stuff that does need to be dealt with is just dealt with one step at a time. It's just always one step. You just, like you said, Nick, just take that next bite and, and move but on. But take it back to what we were saying earlier. We're, we're not special. We're not unique. We're not amazing. Yeah. We're not up on a pedestal. Or I just say to, you know, when I'm speaking, I'm not special. I'm just a bloke who's been through some shit and come out the other side. So I end that I just, I know what to do, but more importantly, I know what not to do. And yeah. that's all I am. I've just been more exposed and more conditioned and more experienced. Um, I, I'm not better or worse than, than someone else yeah. who's still struggling. And that's kind I of actually, the path, I, isn't it? Teaching people what not to do as opposed to what exactly to do. Oh, yes. Yeah. I actually, I love, I love that because I mean, last year I got, I got a comment 
wasn't made directly to me and it set me off. And this is probably one of the things where I went, I need help because I started presenting and blaming that person for my wrongdoing. And they said, if the, the comment was, if they'd known what I'd seen and been through, then they wouldn't, shame wouldn't be feeling like this. And I just, I lost it. But it was that comparison. It's like everyone has shit that goes on and, and comparing doesn't help anyone. And it just like, but, but I knew that I needed to then work through that process and come and understand why he's, he's said that. Mm. Well, um, he, he, and, his comment was just some stimulus and you, you reacted to his stimulus because you were hypersensitive yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now if he said that, I'd be like, oh, well, what can I do to help him sort of mm. not be as judgmental? What's he gone so, through that we can help with? It's funny, isn't it? Like when you're in survival mode, you can't be there for other people. When you're stuck in your own suffering and when you're struggling and when your head's just above water, you can't help the person that's struggling next to you because it's all mm. about you. And yeah. so that's what you were dealing with in that moment. You you were so in your own suffering, you didn't have a capacity to help him, but then you did the work, stood on your own two feet, and now you're walking around sort of not as a life saver or a lifeguard, but you know, you can, you're actually in a position now where you can help other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, yeah. And because I met a lot of people in the clinic who had, got, had been to the army and had seen horrific stuff, but they, they would say to me, they're like, they were like, like what you're dealing with is exactly what we're dealing with. Mm. Like it's just a mental trauma. It's, and that, that like it didn't make me feel better, but it was good to hear that from people who like you look at it and you go, that person's trauma is so much worse. Like, and it kind of justifies it where we can't sort of look at it like that. I don't think like, yeah, it's because we're trying to look at it objectively when we're all having a subjective experience. Yeah. So like objectively, this is worse. This is better, blah, blah, blah. But it's all just subjective. We're all having our own experience. My, my housemate said that to me before I even, it was when I was just about to become a full blown drug addict. And he said something, I think we're on drugs actually. <laughs> we were, it was late one night and he'd been through some really horrible stuff in his childhood, like really intense. And, um, yeah, he said similar things, Shane, to what these people said. He said to me, like, imagine what the worst that I've been through and how that felt. Whatever the worst is for you that you've been through, you felt the same thing, right? Even though objectively you go, that would feel way worse than that. It's like, yeah. no, it's just, that's just your reference point of where you start yeah. from, which means we Sorry. all have stuff. Yeah. What, what's next, Shane? Let's finish up. By, what's, what's on the horizon for you coming up, moving forward? Oh, what isn't? Um, I think he's going to. I think he's going to come down to Mount Martha and have a coffee with me, and we're going to catch up in person. We, yeah, I definitely, definitely, um, I'm down for that. I love, I love catching up with people. Just as Ryan, make sure knows. Nick pays for the coffees. Get them off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess it was. Oh, I wanted to keep working in the mental health field, and I knew that. And putting in the work made me realise that that's really one of what I wanted to focus on. Like I'd already had my podcast for 12 months or 18 months, but I wanted to do more and what that looked like was very uncertain. And I actually did a breathwork session about six weeks ago with Siobhan and I got up and uh, I podcasted with her after. And, but I, I was like, I've got it. I need to write this stuff down because everything that I wanted to do came to me. Mm. It just, it was like I opened up this, like real, what was me, what I wanted to do, the, the things that I grew up, you know, thriving on, helping others, um, you know, not competing with others, like coming together um, to help bigger and brighter things. So, I mean, I'm going to finish my root cause therapy certificate, hopefully um, soon as possible. So I'll have that. But my, my big plan is to bring, and it's going to be announced soon, is to create a statewide mental health directory, which uh, there's good stuff out there. But what I learned in hospital is that therapy isn't like, phys uh, talking therapy isn't like the only option for people that we need to sort of allow people to, as we said, take those steps to therapy because that is such a daunting task for especially males. So having this directory where in every suburb across Victoria on this website, you can click on the website, click on the map of where you are, where you live. And might, you might go away on a holiday and need, you know, something when you're on holiday and you don't know anything. Like if I went to Mount Martha, I wouldn't have a clue what's there. I would click there. On it. Yeah. Now I know. And click, I'll see like mind fit. I'll see uh, physical training, mental training, yoga, Pilates, art class, woodwork class. 
anything that can help people with their minds and escape the body a little bit and work through what they're working on is basically going to be on the list. So, and you should put it what, under anything to attend to someone's well-being. Is yeah. That, is that what you mean? Cool. Yeah, yeah, basically that would be the case. So, because I did in the hospital, I did art and I did, um, I know people that have struggled mentally, so they start woodwork at home. But yeah. it would be so great to have classes where you, you're not going to become a carpenter, but it's something that you can create as a hobby. So, and there's so many, what I didn't realize is there's so many little businesses out there like that that aren't succeeding because no one knows about them. So, the aim is so to you're create. Gonna be, you're going to be the connector. That's that's the aim is to be that connector for for businesses for organisations because I've been in, talking about mental health for ten years and I'd never heard of Nick before personally I'd never never heard of many organisations that are doing mountains of work and I'm in it so imagine the people that are in their darkest days trying to find these people or these businesses organisations it's extremely difficult like you can go on Google. And it might be on like the third or fourth page. If you're extremely depressed, you're not going to go past the first three lines. Mm. Like you just, you'll switch off. So you'll just go, oh, well, it's too hard. So the aim is to make it as easy as possible. So they click on it, see a list of 20 things and go, I like this, 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 and this. Click on it and then send an email to the business and say, I'm keen to come in. You don't need to tell them you're mentally struggling. It's just something that you can go to because mentally Mental illness isn't just like anxiety, depression, you know, this stress, there's, you know, mums that just need a, a group to go to, to talk to, like all of those things will then be incorporated. So in essence, we're building connection through businesses and communities and then they can work together as well. So if I, if I have someone come in and say, oh, I need this, I can say, oh, well, this is either root cause therapy, I know Ryan, or I know like a someone else that does this so you, you then got options and stuff because if people don't know exactly what they're signing up for as well they might go to 10 different places whereas mm. i'll have the exact briefing of what they do hopefully an interview with them and yeah it's, so it's so good i think it's so good for people to awesome. be able to have a menu of options because like right now it's like i go get a mental health can and play a see a psychologist or i go mm. get some meds from a psychiatrist and that's because people just aren't aware that they can go and do breath work or they can go yeah. and do this or something. And, and, and they also, you it'll meet them where they're at. You don't need a GP referral either. You don't need to exactly. go to a doctor first. And... Yeah. 100%. But it's, it's, it's so easy to say to someone and, and, and it's right. You should basically say, go to a GP and get the mental health plan. But I think if we can create a website where all these business and organizations are all on the one playing field in terms of they all want to help, they all actually care about people, then it's going to increase I mean, every their revenue, their people in their business, the success stories, which is just a flow and effect of goodness for everyone, really. Like it's, and that's like I, I would love. And this is my honest, and I mean this wholeheartedly. I would love in ten years' time for my website and business to be wiped because these businesses are like so successful, and people just the six not point nine million people in Victoria are just looking after themselves. That would that I'd love to just wipe my hands with it, but realistically, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but that I I wouldn't care if someone turned around and said, "Well, you're doing this for yourself." No, I'm not. Like, it's going to help me because I love helping people. But if in ten years' time someone said to me, "You can't make a living out of this anymore because everyone's doing such great work," I'd be like, "Fine, I'll get back on the tools." Like, I've done my job. Like, <laughs> it would be extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, like it, it would be um, if I could make enough in the meantime with all the stuff that I'll do in, in there, then so that'd be even better. But if the people that know me know I'm not fussed by money, I never have been. I have a, I do have a poor relationship with money as Ryan and Mal have found out, but which is improving, but money doesn't make me happy and it, it never will. It gives me opportunities and it will over the next few years, but it's, um, I probably get into trouble a little bit with my, uh, nature to give it away too often. So, um, you can't you can't help those that need help if you're in the gutter with them. Is that yeah. yeah. So, so I und I understand now that which is good. So I um yeah can I've got the right people around me to make sure I don't go a bit silly with that. So that sounds um, awesome, mate. I'd love to be a part of it. And anything I can do to help, feel free to come yeah, down I'll, and have a coffee, and we'll catch you up. And I, lo yeah. I love uh, catching up on coffees. I did love hugs, but now COVID doesn't allow hugging. So uh, I think we'll sneak. I got tested the other day, and I'm I'm free, so we can. Oh, um, beautiful! Hug, hug till your heart's content, Nico. 
I'm a hugger. Uh, beautiful. Shano, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Where can people yeah, thanks, get in man. touch if they want to reach out? Uh, so just power, strength and vulnerability. Type that in on the internet. Um, the website will come up. It's still being developed or Facebook page um, as well. And awesome. it's, all, it's all kind of linked in together these days. It's not hard. Yeah, no, I love it, mate. And um, just from my point of view, it's been an absolute pleasure watching you the last however long it's been, six, eight months, that kind of thing. Um, a real metanoia, that breaking down and rebuilding um, has been uh, an absolute pleasure to watch and just seeing the, the purpose and the path that you're on now is, uh, is beautiful, mate. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being so open and sharing, mate. I hope some of the listeners um, really take something of value away from today, which I'm... I'm 99% certain they will if, yeah. if they've got their head screwed on. Um, yeah. So th- thanks for, you know, doing the work on yourself and putting a position where you can then help others. Yeah, that's an inspiration. Um, and, yeah, look forward to catching up in person. Thanks, mate. Thank you, awesome. guys. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. Peace out. Peace. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.